You're listening to Blessed, Living the Good Life According to Jesus, a study of the Beatitudes. For more information, visit our website at crosspointptc.com. morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Excited, excited to be here. Uh, welcome to Crosspoint. Uh, my name is Jason Pipple. I'm the executive director, which means that I'm on staff and get to talk about all kinds of crazy stuff like strategy and planning, a lot of things that half of this room doesn't like to do and the other half likes to do. So that's kind of my role here is to uh, oversee the staff and then Think about planning and kind of where we're heading for this next year. And so that's what uh, my last uh, few months have been uh, just all about, uh, creating plans. So I'm excited that you guys are here. If it's your first time, special welcome to y'all. Uh, like I said, I am the executive director. So uh, the lead guy, which is uh, Josiah, is the, the lead pastor for Crosspoint. And uh, so he's taken a week off and was nice enough to be able to give me the pulpit to be able to preach. The cool thing about this is uh, I, we're in a series called Blessed, and I got to preach the first week, and now I get to preach the last of the uh, Beatitudes. And so I'm really, really excited about doing that and being able to bring God's Word to you this morning. Just a couple things that I just want to note. Um, if, if you don't know anything about Crosspoint, there's a couple things that you can uh, always count on. One is you can count on that whenever you come here, you're going to hear about Jesus. You're going to hear about the gospel. You're going to hear about how it's central to life and living, and it's how it's the most important thing that there is. And so we hope that you guys catch that. It's a very important thing. The second thing is, is that we're all about the Bible. We're about being biblical. We're about um, moving through the Bible um, methodically and expositing God's word so, uh, and not jumping over things. And so this week is one of those weeks that um, has a potential to be a little bit um, stronger and maybe uh, maybe feel a little bit heavier on our hearts this week. Uh, but the cool thing about it is it's what God's Word says, and so our role as preachers and pastors is just to deliver it to you and let you all decide kind of where that lands in your life. And so those are kind of the two things. They're, they're really kind of key, important, central things to, to who we are at Crosspoint. So welcome. Uh, I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but um, when I grew up, I had a really cool car. And I don't know if cars anymore are, are kind of a big deal, but back when I was a teenager in the 80s, okay, uh, I, my first car, I know, I know, my first car was a 1966 Chevelle. It was white, had really nice rims on it. It's a two-door hardtop. For those of you guys that are my age and older, you understand what a hardtop is, right? Yes, I see heads nodding. And so it was an amazing car, and if I would have thought about it, I would have had my senior picture up on the screen so that y'all could laugh with me standing, because the thing in my town was, is you took a senior, but you took a picture in front of your car. Like if you were a guy and you had a cool car, that's just what you did as a part of your senior picture. So you imagine this, there's me, my, my white car, and my mother dressed me in all white, okay, and I had my high tops on. And I had my foot up here on the bumper, like this. That was my, one of my senior pictures, and it was by far my favorite picture. Of all the ones I took, the other ones were horrible, and that was the best one. So that gives you an idea of kind of where things were. But I had this old car. I remember my dad bought it for me. He went to Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. I grew up in Nebraska, and uh, we, we picked up this car, and 
Uh, I was I was a little disappointed at first because it had just it was very original, so it had nothing hot roddy about it. But th- within a few months, we made it look really really amazing. But one of the things I remember about my car is when it drove. Uh, I would drive down the road, and this thing it, you had to hold on to it because it would just want to take you in the ditch. Uh, it, it would just start gravitating that direction. So if you let go of the wheel, the wheel would go, and then off you would go into the ditch if you would let it. And so we found out pretty quickly that this car was really out of alignment. Uh, we found that uh, it didn't matter what you did, it just was, was going to go off. And if you went over railroad tracks, it was far worse. It was horrible, horrible, horrible car as far as that driving goes. And so how many of you guys have ever experienced a car that's out of alignment? Raise your hand. Hey, so with a car that's out of alignment, it either is going to go to the ditch or it's going to go where? Into the middle, into oncoming traffic. So either way, it's problematic. Would you not say that out of alignment car is problematic? We all agree with that point. And so uh, when you have a car that's like that, there's a few things that have to happen. Like you you look at it and you have to diagnose what the problem is. Well, it's pulling to one side or the other. Uh, You can look at the tires. You can see the front and you see, well, well, maybe if they're turned like this, they're wearing funny, or sometimes you got one wheel going straight and the other one's going off to the side, or sometimes you got them like they're crooked this way, and so they wear on the inside or the outside. And so these are all symptoms of the bigger problem, which is your alignment is off. So what do we do when our cars are out of alignment? We, we take it to get it fixed, right? So we take it to a shop, an auto shop, and we pull it in, and they put it on a big machine, and they check it, so they diagnose the problem for your car, and they say it's horrible, and then they charge you an exorbitant amount of money to fix it, right? That's just kind of how it functions, and that's just kind of how it works. And so they realign your tires, and you jump in your car, and you're like, this thing is amazing. It just goes straight, and I get better gas mileage, and my tires last longer. But when you're a 16-year-old kid, you do burnouts, and your tires get trashed anyway. That's what I did. So, so everything is better. It's safer. It works better. That's what it means to be in alignment. But isn't that what the Christian life is all about? Alignment. It's when we realize that there's something wrong with our lives. We realize that there's just something fundamentally messed up with the world. And we get to the point where we understand that sin is the problem. That sin has really broken our relationship with God and has really thrown our world into chaos and really in, and thrown our lives into chaos. Or we begin to pursue things that God really didn't intend for us to pursue in any way. So then we begin to evaluate our condition and we say, well, there's something wrong. There has to be something more. There has to be something better. And hopefully we get to the point where we discover that Jesus has come to realign us. That Jesus has come to fix our hearts and realign us with who he is. And so we repent. We turn away from our sin and we turn to Jesus to pay for our sins. Just like if your parents paid for my, like my parents paid for my alignment on my car. It's the same thing. Jesus has paid for my sins and paid to realign me with God and realign my heart with God's heart. And as a result of that, we live a life that is safe. We live a life of comfort and security in Christ. And so the analogy is, I think, a great analogy, how these two things pull together. And so as we continue on in the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are really meant to do, I think, one major thing. 
and it is to identify the misalignment of our hearts. And so we've gone through now, I think, six or eight different weeks, and each week we've kind of talked about how our hearts are misaligned with the heart of Christ. And so we're going to recap that in a little while, and, and I think it'll be really helpful for y'all. We're just going to kind of keep plugging away here. And so our verse was Matthew 5.10. This is what we're going to talk about. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so I think the first question that we can ask when we look at a verse like this is, well, who is persecuted anyway? Who are these people being persecuted? And hopefully you read the news Hopefully you get online and you see that there are people in the world, especially believers or Christians, that are being persecuted for their faith. It happens. It's very common outside of the United States. For some reason, we're kind of sheltered here, and we're not experiencing a whole lot of that type of persecution. But if you go to Iraq and you encounter ISIS, who hate you because you're a Christian, you might literally lose your head. They will literally murder you for your faith. Unless you recant. That's pretty extreme persecution, wouldn't you say? Or if you go to China and you want to be a pastor there, you have to be part of an underground church. Something that's kind of meets in, in the darkness of night with other believers so that the government doesn't know that you're a Christian. Or North Korea. And there's places all over our world where Christians are being persecuted simply because they're following Jesus. And so I think this verse is definitely talking about that. And, and honestly, if that's all there was, this would be a really short sermon. I would probably just stand up here and just tell you story after story after story, which might be really encouraging. But then you would kind of leave here going, well, what, what does this have to do with me? Uh, that's, that's kind of over there. Like, where am I? Am I just kind of waiting for this to happen to me at some point? Is it going to come my way? And all of a sudden, I just need to be ready for it? And that is what we're going to answer. So let's look at this verse here. It's going to be up on the screen. It's Philippians 1, 29. And here's what it says. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So who do you think that applies to? I think that applies to every single Christian who's following Jesus. Every single one. Every single person who believes in him will also suffer it's not a it's not a message people want to hear is it that's not a, best, a message that i want to hear i want to hear if you believe in him everything is going to be a-okay you're never going to experience anything bad everybody's going to love you life is going to be great your kids are never going to get sick it's going to be amazing but that's not what it says it says when we believe in him we will suffer for his sake and so it really, the question is, as it pertains to persecution, I think there's three different categories that this applies to, okay? And so here they are. Category one, there's a group of us who have never been persecuted. Like, we look at our lives, we're like, I've never experienced that, have no idea, uh, like, how this even applies to me, okay? Second group is a group that has been persecuted for their own sake, okay? And I'm going to unpack that in a minute. And the third group is a group that's been persecuted, experienced persecution for righteousness' sake. So let me unpack each one of those, because I think that's, these are the pieces that we look at, and we say, okay, scripturally, how does this apply to me? 
So the first one, we've never been persecuted. So maybe that's the boat you're in right now. You're thinking, this message doesn't remotely apply to me because I've never been persecuted ever. Well, it may be one of two reasons why that's the case. Reason number one might be that you're not a Christian. That might be it. It might be that you're just not a follower of Jesus and you just have never taken that step in your life. And so why would anybody persecute you? That doesn't make any sense, right? So that may be where you're at. Second one might be that you're the kind of person that has never been persecuted because you've never taken a stand for Jesus publicly, period. You've kind of kept your faith inside your lot, inside here, and you kind of know in your mind, you're like, I definitely love Jesus, I definitely know Jesus, but no one else knows that but me. And so that's a problem because that's not the way that Jesus has called us to live our lives. Uh, Tim Keller put it, Put it this way. He said this. He said, if you're never being persecuted, you're probably a coward. I think that's strong. And if that name Tim Keller wasn't after that verse, I wouldn't have stuck that up there. <laughs> There's no way. But here's a guy that I think that I respect, a man of God who understands the scripture. And when he makes a statement as so bold as that, I take notice, and hopefully you take notice. Ken Hughes says this. That's a little bit longer quote. Ken Hughes tells us, if we wish to be a people to avoid persecution, because that may be our mode of operation, we only have to approve of the world's morals and ethics. We have to live like the world lives. We have to laugh at its humor. We have to immerse ourselves in its entertainment. Smile benignly when God is mocked. Act as if all religions converge on the same road. Don't mention hell. Draw no moral judgments. Take no stand on a moral political issue. And above all, never share your faith. We follow the simple formula, and it will be smooth sailing. I think that is how many of us choose to live. I think we look at life and we say, as a believer, I'm just going to choose to not make any waves or ripples. And so if I keep this to myself, it's going to be smooth sailing. But God is calling us to something greater. In fact, if that verse, remember that verse before it says, we will suffer. It's unavoidable. So either way, whether you're not a Christian or whether you're somebody who's just kind of keeping it to yourself, um, you're out of alignment. And so when you look at your life, you can say, okay, well, I'm not lined up with who God really wants me to be. So let's hit the next category. It doesn't get any better. (laughs) These people are the ones that are being persecuted for their own sake. And so let me tell you what that means. Ken Hughes says it this way. He said, sadly, Christians are often persecuted not because of their Christianity, but because of their lack of it. I think that's powerful, and I think that's so true. So what does it mean to be persecuted for our own sake? Here's what it means. It means that we're, it's when we're persecuted for just being a difficult person. Anybody know anybody like that? How about someone who's persecuted just for being annoying? Or this one here is a big one. I've seen this a lot. Someone who's persecuted for being foolish or just plain unwise. How many times have you seen somebody like, even just financially, like, make really bad financial choices over and over and over again. 
and go, oh, why am I being persecuted? Why is my life in such shambles? And I'm like, it's because you're being foolish. You're doing it to yourself. Nobody is doing this to you. Or making terrible choices in relation to the opposite sex or putting yourself in bad situations. You're like, you're doing it to yourself. That's not persecution. Maybe somebody is being persecuted for being self-righteous they're the finger pointer in the office. She's telling everybody else what they're doing wrong. That can bring some persecution, but not the kind that we're talking about. Maybe somebody's attention getting. Maybe somebody is the kind of person who is trying to win the argument rather than trying to win the person. There's a difference. Maybe the ones that uh, you're the type of person who's being persecuted for making your politics equal with your faith. I think this is one that I do often. I get all riled and excited about political party or an election or some sort of thing like this. And then I sit back and I go, but am I just as excited? No. Am I more excited about Jesus or about this political thing that's happening? Do I t have more conversations about this and try to evangelize people to my political party? Or am I trying to evangelize people to Jesus who changes the hearts of people? I find myself there often. And the last one I, is you could be persecuted for just being an overbearing fanatic. Just crazy. Tim Keller, let me give you the rest of, the, of this quote. He says, if you're always being persecuted, you're probably just obnoxious. <laughs> How true that is. And so we have to look at ourselves and we have to look at our lives and we have to ask the question of why am I experiencing hard times? Why am I perceiving these things to be times that I'm being persecuted? What, like, am I just like putting this on myself? Or am I being legitimately persecuted because I'm taking a stand for who Jesus is? I think that's a valid question that we all have to ask. And we have to ask all the time. And it has to be a very common thing. So let's get to the fourth, the third category. It's when we're being persecuted for righteousness sake now i think there's a key a little piece of this and you know i think there is a, a good thing of like pursuing righteousness and pursuing goodness and and great moral things i think those are very very important things to do but that's not really the crux of what this verse is talking about what this verse is really talking about is is that when you align your life with jesus you will be persecuted like jesus Think of the life of Christ. So many times I look at my life and I go, my life doesn't really reflect what his life looked like remotely. Think about his pathway and what happened to him and just in like the three years of his ministry and what happened and how he was just like, everybody was just like, a ton of people were just against him, especially religious people were out to get him and eventually ended up with his torture and death. And I look at my life and I go, hmm, not even close. Not even close to that. John 15, uh, 18 through 20 says this. It says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. And that's what we talked about earlier. As, and it would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
When we alive our lives to Jesus, our values change. Our behavior changes. John Stott put it this way. He said, persecution is simply a clash between two irreconcilable value systems. So when you come into alignment with Jesus, you get a new value system versus the worldly value system. And that's what we're going to talk about here in just a second. Because when we go through life and we interact with other people who are not on the same page, our value systems collide and this causes friction. Just like a car that's out of alignment, it's the same thing. It wears on us. It's not efficient. It's not the way that God intended us to be. And so it's obvious and should be obvious that something is wrong. It's obvious that should be obvious that we're not going in the same direction. That's why the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. Have you ever heard that verse in the Bible? And so many times people who are, and I think this happens through everything, through business and relationships and everything, but one specifically, let me address this. Like if you're single and you're dating somebody who's not a Christian, like you are not aligned with them. Like you're not going the same direction. Your value system should be different. But if it appears as if you are aligned with them, that should say something too. Right? It says that you're lined up. It says that you're heading the same direction rather than different directions. And so I would just encourage all of us as we think about that idea of being unequally yoked. Like, what does it look like? Maybe it's a business relationship. Maybe, maybe it's like, you know, I'm thinking about going into business with a partner who's not a Christian. Well, that's probably a mistake. And so we have to look at these things. Let me go through the Beatitudes here. And um, these are in your bulletin. So if you have your bulletin, you can open it up on the sermon side and you kind of follow along. That might be helpful. I thought these were really, really helpful and really good to identify the differences in the value system as it goes through the Beatitudes. And so I would just encourage you, take these home, look at them. And so the first one we did, week one, was blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And basically what Jesus is saying is that blessed are those who are broken and who align their lives with him. So basically blessed are those who have decided to come into a relationship with Christ. But the world says blessed are those who have it all together and live, lives, live life for themselves. Can you see how those are in conflict? Every single one of these things will be in conflict. Second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus says that blessed are those who mourn their sin. And the world says, well, the concept of sin is really relative. It's really based upon the, the, like the set of rules that you pick to follow. So pick the set of rules that you like in that moment, and then you'll be happy. You won't be mournful. Third one, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said the blessed are the meek who embrace bridled strength. The world tells us blessed are the self-absorbed and the dominant, those who care nothing for the world or for around them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus says blessed are we when we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Jesus that's found in him. And the world says blessing is to not hunger. We don't want to hunger. We want to pursue whatever satisfies our flesh. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus says, blessed are those who give undeserved forgiveness. The world says blessing is found in immediate justice and revenge. 
Those collide, don't they? Those hit hard. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus says that the pure in heart are singularly focused on God, and so not focused on self. And the world is motivated by what? That serves the individual. you got to look out for number one, right? That is kind of the mantra of our culture. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus says a peacemaker is one who is bringing the peace of Jesus to other people. And the world does not want to be at peace with Jesus. It's in direct conflict. And the one we're doing today, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says persecution for being aligned with him is to be blessed. And the world tells us to flee any sort of discomfort, any kind, anything that, that, that would really drive us towards feeling bad, but instead pursue every worldly pleasure that we can find. Can you see the tension? I think that's what the Beatitudes were meant to do, is to show us this tension between this value system that Jesus brings us and this value system that the world is trying to push our way. It's the value, the world, the value system of the world is really what we naturally gravitate towards, right? Because we're sinners. And that's why we have to rely on Jesus so much. He says he's just changing us from the inside out. Two very, very different things. Some people say that persecution can be a blessing. And so when you live in those, when you live in the Beatitudes, when God does that work in your heart and changes your value system, you will experience persecution. But there's, a, there's an upside. James 1.24 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we experience persecution, it grows us. It seems kind of weird when you think about it. How is that possible? But think about how the gospel moved from Jerusalem and through, the, through that whole area. It moved through persecution, right? It was like people were being hunted down, but yet the gospel went forward. It did not squelch the good news that Jesus has for us. So, it refines us, it purifies us, it grows us. So, 2 Timothy says this. It says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, will be persecuted. All will be. That's the kind of life that we're supposed to live. If we live in those values, it's going to happen. So when we move to be a Christian, to move to be a Christian, to move to like live in Christianity, what it really truly means to be a Christ follower is to be like Christ. Jesus suffered. We will also suffer. We are truly blessed when persecuted and persecuted when our lives are aligned with the life of Jesus. That's what it means to be alignment, to be aligned. is to be on the same page as Christ, to be pursuing who he is, to be trusting in who he is to be relinquishing control, to be repenting of our sin because that's changing our value system and aligning us with who he is. So for you and I, let me just make this super, super practical. When we think about what persecution can look like for us, okay? Because most of us are not experiencing death threats, right? And all of us are obviously alive, so we're not dying, you know? And we don't, probably don't know people around us that are. So here's what, what it might mean. It might mean 
that you're ridiculed by your own flesh and blood because of Jesus. And some of you may have experienced that this, la this last week at a Thanksgiving meal. That's persecution. It may mean that you're ostracized by those who you love because you are a Christian. It may mean that you're treated as the butt of the joke when you stand up for what you believe in the workplace. Or it may mean that you don't laugh at the joke and you make everyone else uncomfortable. Experience that one. There's a line there between being annoying too, but it may mean putting your job on the line when your allegiance to your boss is in conflict with your allegiance to Christ. It may mean that you're rejected when you try to share Jesus with somebody because you just care for them and you just want them to have what you have and you get rejected. It may mean that you're ridiculed for forgiving when it's really undeserved. Why would you do that? Why would you forgive them? It may mean that you take a moral stand on an issue, like abortion, and you say, this is wrong. It may mean missing a vacation or a conference because you know what kind of trouble is coming. You know what I'm talking about? You choose to not go. It may mean skipping a party or a movie because the temptation is too much. You know what that movie's going to have in it, and so you choose not to go with your friends. It may be holding your tongue when you're really angry. So the question for us is, how is your alignment? Which category do you fit in? Have you never been persecuted? If you've never been persecuted and you're like legitimately saying, man, I'm not a Christian, like this is, this is not like super enticing to say, hey, I would really like you to try today because you're going to get persecuted, right? That's probably not the most, the best evangelistic strategy, right? But when you take a stand for who Jesus is, this is what happens. But what Jesus offers is so much more worth it so maybe that's you you just don't know Jesus and so that's why you're in that situation maybe maybe you just don't tell anybody about him maybe you just kind of keep it to yourself and maybe for you the next step is to say God I just don't want to live in that anymore I repent of that and a sin in my life I want to be excited about you and I want people to know about you I don't want to keep it to myself that might be you Maybe the category two is you, the one that's persecuted for your own sake. Maybe for you, just making bad choices in life. You're not being persecuted. You just bring it on yourself. Maybe you need help. Ask somebody to help you. Damn, I'm really struggling with this. What do I even do? I mean, just repent and be like, man, this is sin in my life. I just, God, just take this away or help me to make better choices or, or pray about things before you do them and don't react and don't just boom, do something, but take some time and be wise. Maybe that's you. Ask people what their perception is of you. You know? If you're the annoying Christian at work, that's probably a problem. Hopefully that's not the case. So there's the two. And then the third category is, I think there are people in this room who are legitimately being persecuted. It's, it's happening, and you feel it. And I would say for you, I would just encourage you. You're right where God wants you to be. 
it's not fun. But the one thing I've noticed about persecution is persecution should always drive us to reliance on Jesus more. It should always drive our faith to really trust him more and more and more. It's like when things are down the dumps and you're like, I don't even know why this is happening. And you kind of like, it's funny, you just pray. God, I don't understand this. Please help me. And it's a place of humble submission to the one who's most important in our lives. And I would encourage you to do that. That's right where you want to be. That's biblical. That's what this verse is talking about. And so we need to look at our lives and figure out where we are. And that's what our hope and our prayer for you today would be as you leave today and as you go to lunch and you talk about this and, you know, find a friend that you can trust and say, I'm really struggling with this. Like, I've never experienced this or I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to take a next step or, and, or get in a community group. That's, that's really where we talk about these things. We were honest. And so I'd encourage those things in your life. The good news is Jesus is so much bigger than any of this thing, any of this stuff. You don't think that somebody is like getting ready to be like killed and beheaded just for being a Christian. You don't think in their minds they're going, you know what? I know Jesus is so much bigger than this thing that's happened to me right now. That's where we should be. That's how we should respond. That's how we should function. And so Jesus is amazing. He offers to fulfill us. He offers to complete us. He offers us security. He offers us eternity with him in heaven. Because that's what the last part of the verse says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A life aligned with Jesus is a life that is going to be with God forever. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.